The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome everyone to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Maureen Metcalf, and tonight we're joined by Susan Cannon, renowned futurist, consultant, and trainer, and Mike Morrow-Fox, principal at Metcalf & Associates. They're both exceptional leaders, theorists, and practitioners in their own right, and the group of us collaborated on a chapter in the International Leadership Association book, Leader 2050, that we just learned we were a finalist for a book award. So I want this Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will prepare them to lead their organization in the dynamic times we're facing. If you didn't catch the Leader 2050 inaugural conversation, Susan went into in great detail what we're expecting between now and 2050, what kind of changes we're going to be facing. And tonight we're really going to talk about what is the leadership required to successfully help us transition as a global society into what we're facing. So in addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to find one or two things from each weekly segment that you can put into practice in your own leadership. So the question is often, when was the last time you updated your leadership behaviors? And if you're not updating them fairly consistently, again, in the context of the world is changing, if I'm not changing the way I lead, not just the work I do, but how I lead technically as a leader, then I am likely at risk of being obsolete or at least a bit out of date. So the outcome of tonight's discussion or today's discussion is really to listen to the, is for us to present the leadership competency model that that, uh, we put forth in the Leader 2050 book. And we'll go into more detail on what each of those competencies are that will be led by Mike Morrow-Fox, who was the primary creator of that model. And Susan and I will both elaborate on what each of the competencies are. There are seven of them. So let's start by having both uh, Mike to lead and then Susan give a little bit of information about their backgrounds. Well, Maureen, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for, for having us today and to talk about this great topic. Uh, my background is that I have an MBA, and, and at my young age, surprisingly, I've spent over 20 years in healthcare, nonprofits, and technology companies doing human resources and performance management. And, and that's where I really find my passion around competency and competency models. And Susan? 
Hi, I'm Susan. Susan Shannon. Really happy to be here, too, with you, Maureen and Mike. Um, I have a PhD, and I tend to work at the intersection of leadership development and future studies, and I focus on two areas that I believe have a high leverage for creating a positive future, and that's harnessing the power of business for good and also developing wise, powerful, and balanced women leaders. Um, I'm currently teaching leadership at Fielding Graduate University, and I have an executive coaching and organizational consulting practice through um, Volat Executive Coaching. And for those of you who are interested in the women's leadership development and how women leaders are going to be shaping the future, I've got a book coming out called The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. And that's going to be released through She Writes Press in April 2016. Congratulations on that. Since I've gotten to read a pre-copy, it's an amazing book, and I highly recommend it. Thank you. Let's move into uh, the discussion of competencies, starting with professionally humble. Mike, why don't you walk us through what it is? And we're just going to have a conversation, basically. Good. So so let me give you just a a quick 30-second overview of the model, and that is that it was really reverse-engineered. So when we look at Jim Collins' work and his discussion about level five leaders, and then we take a look at developmentalists talking about effective transformational leaders and what those effective transformational leaders look like, we really get a picture of some um, of, of leaders that have a maturity and some abilities that really allow them to take their organizations above and beyond, which is what will be necessary in the future. So what I did was I looked through all the literature on these uh, uh, developmentally mature leaders, which are called strategists, uh, and level five leadership in particular that Jim Collins was talking about, and I found seven differentiators. And what we can do with this competency model and these differentiators is make sure that as we're developing leaders, they're developing these competencies as well as making sure that environments support these competencies so that when we have this type of leadership in our organization, it can thrive and really help the organization thrive. And the first one that's pretty interesting in terms of reverse engineering is what we found is these very mature, highly effective transformational leaders are professionally humble. And in particular, they care more about getting it right than being right. That comes up over and over again. So while they freely, happily, and instinctively give credit to others and they put principles ahead of personal gain, they really have a commitment to the organization as a mission and a commitment to getting things right. And actually, as we'll see even as the other competencies dovetail in, these are people who, interestingly enough, rather than being verbose, are really folks that just really want to make sure they do good things and don't care if they're wrong and are able to change course in the process. So the first competency, professional humility, really differentiates this group of very highly effective leaders. And I want to jump in and ask a question. When you say don't care if they're wrong, again, this goes to kind of the mind of a scientist, right, that, that as a leader I'm most of the time right or at least directionally correct. Well, I think what I, and I appreciate you bringing that up, what I really meant there is is that um, if I find that I'm directionally incorrect, I'm not disturbed by that. I'm curious by that and really glad that someone has helped me correct course. 
whereas less mature leaders tend to defend a, a, a posture that may actually be directionally incorrect all the way into problems for the organization. These are people who you don't have to worry about them getting upset by being challenged. Actually, they believe that, that if they're directionally correct, the challenge can only help them really understand that directional correctness more. Does that make sense? It does, and Susan, uh, do you want to weigh in here? Yeah, well, I, um, I wanted to be real careful about distinguishing that being professionally humble is not about being a martyr or sacrificing your health and happiness and especially not hiding your light under a bushel. And the reason I say that is in my work with women leaders, the word humble is really tricky because um, what we find is that there's an underlying limiting belief, and this is subconscious, not rational, of, um, I'm not enough. Mm. And so then women start to think, you know, I can't go for the big job, you know, I'm not ready yet. And then, um, whereas a man is more likely to believe he can, even if the job's over his head. So then in just the wrestling with the challenge, then that man ends up developing skills and, you know, growing themselves. So, uh, Cheryl Sandberg had a lot to say about that lean in, you know, you know, about encouraging women to advocate for themselves. So, being professionally humble is not about sacrificing yourself or your opportunities, but it's, as Mike was saying, it's about letting the mission drive you forward, you know, rather than needing to be in the spotlight and have your ego fed. You know, as a strategist, you can spread the credit around because you're mature enough to recognize that as a leader, you're getting results through others. They're the ones that mm-hmm. need the credit. Would you like me to give you an example of somebody that I think, a leader that I think is doing a good job with that? Yeah, I think it's really helpful to illustrate because the the questions that come to my mind still are, I think we've all been in situations where, especially you and I as women, if you don't speak out and somebody else does, it's easy to get left behind, and Mm -hmm. yet there are other times where speaking out is the least effective path. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tricky one. You know, it it takes a lot of discernment. But um, typically the strategist leader has fortunately developed a lot of that. They've got a pretty wide mindset that can draw on a lot of capacities, and that's something that they tend to be, to be good at. Um, Mary Barra is somebody I'm really interested in. She's the CEO of General Motors, and she was, of course, the first woman to head up a major automaker. And um, so she started GM at 18. Her dad worked there. So this company has a lot of meaning for her. And so she got in there and has to pick up the pieces post-bankruptcy and bailout. So she's really committed to getting it right and leaving, um, leaving a legacy. So she's been really persistent about giving credit to teams. And she has not been relying on her charisma, even though she's in the spotlight quite a bit. You know, it's a big job, big mm-hmm. challenge. She's not trying to be a star CEO. She doesn't need to look like the smartest person in the room. She's always gathering input from everybody. And GM was known for having a really dysfunctional, siloed, kind of accountability-adverse culture. And her strategy for changing GM is, GM is just to walk her talk really consistently, just demonstrate through small actions the right way to do things, have impeccable behavior with person-by-person, step-by-step, day-by-day, and just let her example radiate through the company and let the results speak for themselves. That's a beautiful example because you mentioned the word charisma and so many of us were taught that charismatic leaders, that's what what it means to be leaderly. Mm -hmm. So I've coached 
as have both of you, and occasionally when I go into my first meeting, what I'm told is so-and-so isn't leaderly enough. And what that often translates to is they don't have charisma or they don't have the kind of charisma that the organization has come to expect from leaders. And yet in some cases, these folks are significantly more effective. So, So it is balancing what we as a society have come to believe is leaderly versus what we know as researchers really drive success. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate Susan's point because I think this is one of the more tricky competencies, and I agree with her 100%. Being professionally humble means caring about getting it right, but it doesn't mean sacrificing your own self-esteem or letting others take credit or agreeing to something that's not correct. So. Uh, for those people that have been socialized to, to kind of, uh, maybe my voice shouldn't be heard, that's really not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is people who have the maturity and the comfort level to explore a variety of different posi- positions on an issue and also to, um, to really be comfortable enough to give credit to others. It's not laying back when you're the right person to lead and, and doing the right thing. So a really great clarification that's very important. You know, the other comment on this that you talked about but we haven't uh, explored is the idea that it, they are mission-focused, It's every, that that's the North Star for everything I do, is, is this aligned with the organization's mission and vision? And is it aligned with my mission and vision? If who I am is an expression of the work I do, then I need to be aligned with what the organization is doing. And I think that feeds right into the second competency, which is a, a commitment to right action. That what we find with these really highly effective leaders is that when they are on a mission in particular, they're fully committed, hard-driving, and fully focused. They have the ability to stay on course when under pressure, and that's so important because there are so many pressures that can come that have nothing to do with mission. Uh, and, and so this is a, a really important competency to pair with professional humility because these are folks who, when they know that this is the right thing and they know that this is the right mission of the organization, are really fully committed to making things work. Susan, do you want to elaborate on that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I see this um, unwavering commitment to right action a lot of times with Obama. Um, and the way he stayed the course over time with the Affordable Care Act, you know, enormous pressures. It's not, but the thing is with the strategist, it's not about forcing your way or holding rigidly to rules or being zealously ideological because, um, strategists are not rule driven, they're principle driven. This is really different. Um, and so when it came to climate change, my sense is that Obama took the long view and waited for the right time to be able to bring the issue forward to the electorate in a big way so that it would be embraced. You know, whereas um, President Clinton uh, earlier tried to push health care reform too fast before the culture was ready to accept it, it just kind of collapsed. So a major distinction of strategists versus a more, let's say, a traditional or a modern leader is that the strategist operates a lot further out in time and make decisions with concern for generations in the future, not just the next election cycle, the next five-year plan, the next quarter. 
you know, Obama was committed, I think, all along to climate change policy, but he was just really smart to take the long view and was really patient about it. So it's an unwavering commitment to right action. You know, what seems interesting to me, we heard in prior elections that the term wishy-washy or flip-flopping mm-hmm. and some of those, uh, and yet this commitment to right action and stay the course until I learn that it's not the right course. It seems like there yeah. is also a fair amount of openness back to professionally humble that if the course I'm on turns out to be less effective than an, an alternative, that I am also willing to shift. Yeah. And also there's that idea of the North Star. You know, you can see it way out there, but if you, if you are willing to take a circuitous route. It doesn't have to be a certain way. You're not rigid. You're not bound by rules. Um, you can ultimately get there over time. You may not know exactly how, but you can still continue to hold that out there. Well, and it seems like in this environment, I'm going to be correcting course on a regular basis, that whatever the mm-hmm. how is that I think is brilliant today is going to be less brilliant tomorrow. Right. You know, and then... Uh, in the future, or even now, things are going to get more and more chaotic. It's going to be harder and harder to see what's happening. There's a lot more ambiguity to deal with. Who's got to be able to do that? Who's got to be able to dynamically steer? So the combination then of professionally humble and committed to right action just makes for a really powerful foundation for this strategist leader. Mm-hmm. So let's, at this point, go to break. This is Maureen Metcalf with Susan Cannon and Mike Morrow-Fox. You're listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And this afternoon, we're exploring the strategist mindset competency model. So if we think about what's required to move us as leaders from where we are now to a successful transition through a lot of the changes we're facing, it is this mindset competency model that we believe is a foundation for effective leaders. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, and welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guests are Susan Cannon and Mike Morrow-Fox, and we're talking about the strategist mindset competency model. So, Mike, let's go to the third competency. And actually, Maureen, let me put a couple together here, and let me say that there are two that work hand in glove. One is that we find that these leaders are able to inspire followership. They have the special ability to connect with people at all levels of the organization to create that shared vision that's so important for learning organizations. And they are also innately collaborative. So they welcome collaboration. They look for novel solutions that serve the highest outcomes for all involved. And that ability to connect with all these different levels, as well as being innately collaborative, really gives them a special opportunity for leadership and creating that mission orientation, that ability to innovate, that uh, motivation and engagement that workforces will need in the future and actually are needing today. Yeah, in fact, I got a call yesterday from someone who was saying uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, great organization, and they are proactively looking at how do they build on their capacity to collaborate to, again, deal with some of the very complex climate-related issues that, that they are being tapped to resolve. Mm. Yeah, so it, it's fascinating to see, it, it, through my limited lens on the world, who is reaching out and saying, okay, we see the importance of this, and we're going to take quick action to fill any gaps we may perceive, and get ahead of the things that are happening globally right now in the climate change space. So, Susan, do you have anything you want to share on this one, or these two? Yeah. Well, inspiring fellowship. You know, it's interesting how now so many leaders are having to be truly global leaders. They're able to be seen and fancy and the problems that we have are at that level. You know, Pope Francis is a great example. He has almost an unearthly ability to, you know, inspire fellowship, fellowship at a global level, even from people who aren't that interested in the Catholic Church. You know, Raul mm-hmm. Castro was joking that he might even join after meeting Francis. So talk about inspiring followership, and he's, and he's clearly seeking to catalyze some kind of a transformative shared vision of, you know, caring and love for the planet and for all people you know, especially the, the most vulnerable and the poor. And he, he sets a deliberate example of, you know, intimately connecting with people all the way from, you know, heads of state to the most marginalized and forgotten. And he doesn't sidestep any source of conflict. You know, he just wades right in and, you know, he manages not to get caught up in political polarization. And then, you know, in terms of, you know, providing feedback for growth and development, you know, he just speaks directly to the people of the United States by, you know, addressing Congress. He said, you know, your responsibility as members of Congress is to enable the country by your legislative activity to grow as a nation. You know, he's really, he's really seeking to develop people, and that's something that's 
very powerful in the strategist mindset. Hey, and making those hard requests in a way that is respectful. Yes, yes, he does. He's, he's, he's masterful at it. He, he doesn't tend to agree with everybody. He brings up the hard things, but um, people are willing to take it in because of the, 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 the very skillful way in which he's able to, to, to deliver that and how fair he is. You know, the word that strikes me as I watch him and listen to him is just a level of grace. And from, from the schedule he keeps to the kindness he shows to the lack of pomp and circumstance to the willingness yeah. to be out in crowds, e- even though I would imagine his handlers are terrified that something adverse could happen to him. Yeah. Well, he's got that. Professional humbleness also is a very, you know, a very major part of his um, personality and his, his capacity. It's amazing. And I think that's really a, a resonant, uh, a, a, a wonderful example of what we've just seen, because I'm certainly not sure of, of what he's like behind closed doors, but that ability to connect with people at all levels of the organization and actually all levels, period, and that innate collaboration, connecting and at the same time allowing others to be where they're at. That is a terrific example of what we're talking about from these really highly effective leaders and how as we're Mm -hmm. developing new leaders and supporting established leaders, we have to make sure that our organizations allow people to have this type of competency and are able to, uh, given the reign, to, to, uh, to inspire that followership and to be collaborative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're speaking, one of the things that, that strikes me is something we said in the intro to this chapter, and it's how paradoxically these leaders can appear. So at times they can be gracious and accepting. At other times they hold people accountable and deliver the tough truth. Um, at times they are self-confident. Um, they're fact-based and intuitive. They're hard-driving, but they're also sustainable. And for many folks, those would seem to be different ends of a pole, and yet they're able to balance and, depending on the situation, use the full range of behaviors. Yeah. My experience has been, though, as I've worked for and with strategists and level five leaders is that that's the reality. And I can think in particular mm-hmm. of a couple of people that I worked with who were very hard driving and had very definite ideas as to how the organization should move toward mission, who were very hardworking themselves and expected a lot of others. And at the same time, I can never think of an experience where somebody left their presence feeling less than because of the way they behaved. So it's that mm-hmm. ability to really move a vision forward and at the same time not run it over somebody in front of you. And, and those strategist leaders, those level five leaders have that ability. And we as leadership development folks really have to make sure that that ability is supported and nurtured because in a lot of organizations and in a lot of situations, you really have to negotiate pretty adeptly to be able to move things forward and not over the people in front of you. Yeah. Well, in an environment, and this is probably a separate show, 
many organizational environments are not strategists. And so the strategist is, in fact, seen as an outlier and not recognized for their exceptional capacity, but rather, in some cases, they've been sent to me as people seeking coaching to be fixed. And so we're, we're giving the message to the people who are at this precious level that they're really inadequate because they don't fit in the organization. So it, to me, the, this putting forth this model and helping people recognize what the next level looks like is really foundational to our profession. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I wanted to make a, a distinction about the idea of the, um, of being innately collaborative versus just collaborative. Because, mm-hmm. you know, right now in, in, in organizations that aren't necessarily, you know, a strategist environment, it's really popular to talk about creating collaborative teams. You know, let's all work mm-hmm. together in some kind of coordinated fashion instead of, you know, on our own. But strategist competency <clears throat> of being innately collaborative is a lot more complex. Um, it's not only is it just it's kind of their way of being, but it's an aspect of bringing together all these different factions and multiple stakeholders, and it requires a lot of ability to hold tension and manage relationships. But then it draws forth this intelligence that's needed for a better solution. Now, I do some work with advertising agencies, and the ones that are really prospering, the ones that are really having an opportunity to influence culture, um, so they're more strategists, they've embraced the use of these very diverse collaborative teams working in these open spaces together that come together, you know, really quick for, say, a particular pitch or a project, and it's, it's way more chaotic and harder to manage, but the strategist leader is really comfortable with, with dealing and with and navigating chaos, and they're willing to deal with that if they get a more novel solution or there's a higher outcome for all. They, have a, mm-hmm. they just have more bandwidth for that. And then to point out the paradoxical part, it doesn't mean that we collaborate, that we, everyone shares their point of view forever and we never get anything done. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That, that there, there are processes and mechanisms to, to work collaboratively that drive to hardcore results. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I, I think we've probably all been in environments, too, that are preference collaboration over delivery rather than balancing mm-hmm. the two. Yeah, you're right. The strategist is going to make sure that the results come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mary Barra, again, she's a good example of that. She actually got her role, her position, because she was famous for her ability to collaborate, and she drives her results. And we have interviewed Brian... Robertson from Holacracy One, not that that's the only tool, but they put forth some very interesting collaborative decision-making models that capture different perspectives and and give a discrete process for synthesizing those, and they're timed. So each person, you go around in a circle, each person differs, gives a perspective, someone synthesizes, and then a decision's made and you go on. So, So there are mechanisms that allow us to be both collaborative and results-oriented. Yeah. And certainly the holacracy model emerged from the strategist mindset. <laughs> hmm So, Mike, what's next? 
Next is one that is actually not counterintuitive, but extremely important, and that is that what we find from these high-level leaders is that they are 360-degree thinkers, and that's the competency. They have the balcony view of the business, so to speak. They're able to, able to balance competing commitments of multiple, multiple constituents. They innately understand systems, constraints, perceptions, and secondary impacts of decisions. They also understand cross-organizational impact. So it's really taking a look across and understanding the whys as well as the hows and really putting together that strategic viewpoint that comes with being developmentally open and mature. And so for these individuals, what we want to make sure that they're able to do and that they start facilitating within themselves or within our development programs is starting to see the larger picture of how things come together, what the unintended consequences are, what the actual consequences are, and what, how all the pieces fit together to make the whole. And as people get developmentally mature, they start to see how the pieces do come together to fit the whole and are really very effective at getting things to move forward because they can see that larger, long-range picture. So, Susan, do you want to elaborate and possibly give an example? Yeah. Well, I want to go back again to Pope Francis because if you compare him with Pope Benedict in terms of being a global institutional leader, it's... It's this competency of being a 360-degree thinker, I think, really makes the, the, the difference there because Pope Francis is like a symphony conductor working across all these complex systems and, con- and context. He's hearing all the myriad constraints and all the varied perceptions. And, you know, Benedict, in comparison, was kind of like, you know, like he was in an oompa band, um, nowhere near <laughs> that level of complexity. And... Um, in the graduate leadership class I'm teaching, I have it set up so that class moves through these different levels or stages of leadership development week by week. You know, we'll start out with the traditional mindset, which is much more like Benedict, then the modern, then we go to postmodern, and finally we get to strategist, you know, pretty advanced uh, level of development. And during the strategist week, the students um, read a paper by Carol Sanders, and she was the vice president of chemicals for DuPont during the Freon recall. Mm. And she basically lays out, yeah, how DuPont had to upgrade their thinking from, like, just the basic systems, thinking, living systems idea to thinking about systems of systems in order to solve this, you know, really gnarly global problem. It just They had to go to a whole order of complexity greater in the way they were thinking. And so this balcony, they got into this... They basically were forced into a balcony 360 view, and she said in the end, instead of being so devastated by the Freon recall, sending decades fighting regulators in various countries, she said what they ended up doing was creating a whole new set of products. They felt more ethical, and they made more money. You know, I'm put in mind, too, at this point in time, we're right in the middle of of just a, a real industrial catastrophe as we take a look at Volkswagen. And what they've not done at looking at sustainability or long-term by falsifying results on their car emission controls. If we have leaders in the organization that have an innate sense, a really strong sense of, wait a minute, this is not sustainable, and, and we put these together with a commitment to right action, and we put this together with um, 
the ability to inspire followership, we just don't get a disaster like we're seeing the Volkswagen company go through or like they've perpetrated upon the environment. The, this 360-degree thinking is, in some of the really good articles on sustainable leadership and sustainable companies and how I can put together a transformational organization that does well today, but because I can see down the road, it does well in the future as well. You know, as you mentioned that, another company that comes to mind is Enron. I was working in the space of utilities deregulation and people bidding into utilities markets pre-Enron crash and actually helping set up those trading floors. And it it was the companies who were taking a short-term maximized profit perspective rather than a longer-term sustainable profit perspective really tanked an entire industry. By the time that that level of thinking played itself out, I think deregulation was put on hold for at least another 10 years. And I think I have reflected often on what could have happened had those same companies taken a longer-term view on profitability. We as a country would be in a very different place on deregulation, and certainly all of the people who lost significant amounts of money, and some of them presumably their life savings, would be in a very different position right now. Yeah. That is true. It's hard to change mindsets. It would be an interesting scenario to play with about what if a strategist had been in those organizations. How might the future have played out more positively? Mm-hmm. You know, one positive example of a 360-degree thinker is John Mackey at Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he created a revolution in food supply and how we nourish ourselves, you know, really by having that 360-degree balcony view of systems as systems that go into how and what we eat. You know, he's a, he is a kind of a controversial figure to some degree, but I don't, you know, most people, I think, don't really understand the paradigmatic impact he had on our culture with um, natural and organic foods and how what uh, Whole Foods had to do to create all kinds of decentralized systems and partnerships from agricultural land to distribution systems, co-ops, all kinds of stuff they had to build from scratch almost in order for customers to get, you know, this this convenience and this sort of this comprehensive selection of, of really good quality natural and organic food products Whole Foods provide. It's quite a feat, actually, what he's done there. Well, and to build on that, not only did he change the food industry, but he also impacted the, this whole idea of conscious capitalism. So, mm-hmm. so it was, right? So bringing forward systems and interconnected systems for a public company versus a B Corp and some of these, these ideas that I'm in business to maximize profit versus I'm in business to be conscious and make appropriate profits and also be mission-focused. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure I didn't get that quite right, but directionally. So let's go to break now. This is Maureen Metcalf with our guests, Susan Cannon and Mike Morrow-Fox. The show is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're talking about the strategist competency model. We'll be back after break.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with Susan Cannon and Mike Morrow-Fox. The program is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And today's segment is focusing on what is the strategist competency model? How do, how do leaders look, think, and behave that will effectively drive us through this transformation? So, Mike, back to you. Yeah, and these final two competencies that we'll talk about are really, I think, extremely important for those people that are involved in leadership development programs or those people that are really trying to get their own leadership maturity going and figuring out what directions to take. The first one is intellectual versatility. What came up in the studies time and time again is that those leaders that are the most effective leaders with these competencies have developed interest and expertise and a curiosity beyond the job in the organization. And I know I run into all the time people who say, gosh, I'm so busy with the day-to-day. It's hard for me to, to get involved in anything else. I just don't have the energy. And yet I think some of the maturity to be professionally humble and the commitment and some of the other things we talk about really hinge on this curiosity and this drive to know more than just what's in the job, to really take an interest in the larger picture politically, nationally, internationally, and so forth, and really be intellectually curious about the world. So, Susan, back over to you. Okay. To elaborate and well, you know, provide examples. Yeah. Well, you know, whenever I've come across a strategist leaders, you know, one of the tip-offs is that they strike me as kind of renaissance men and women, you know, not in like, look at me, I run a billion-dollar business, and I also climbed Everest in record time, but... They just seem to be genuinely committed to mastery in all these areas because they're just so hungry for self-actualization, and they really, really want to benefit the planet and leave a legacy. I think one example is somebody who grew into this was Richard Branson. You know, he's always been intellectually curious, very adventurous, loves to try things, have a lot of fun, 
Um, and that helped make him a real great modern and then a really caring postmodern billionaire. But I think recently he's grown into a strategist. And, and the difference is the kind of projects he chooses now. Um, they're much more of, a, of uh, providing leadership for global humanitarian causes. For example, he was named by Nelson Mandela as one of the group of elders. And their mission was to catalyze peaceful resolutions to longstanding conflicts you know, articulate new approaches to global issues that are causing immense human suffering and share wisdom to help connect voices all over the world. So that's a real different thing than going out and winning races. And um, Al Gore, too, is somebody who I think had strategist tendencies but was constrained, I think, by the traditional political expectations he grew up with. And then, you know, he after he lost the election, we saw him blossom into his strategy, his strategist legacy work as a champion of of global climate change. So, they're in, you know, strategists are interested in transformation and the evolution of themselves in the world. You could really see that in him. It does seem interesting, if I think of the strategists I know, they all seem to have causes or external, outside of their business, things they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So is it time, Mike, oh. to go to the next? Yeah, the last one is... is uh... Uh, what we find in common with these leaders is they're highly authentic and reflective. They're not constrained by personal appearance, but they're highly focused on personal behavior. And this is one where we see people that are really committed to personal growth and development and the development of others. They're very undefended, actually so undefended at times that it's surprising. They seek out feedback, even if that feedback may be difficult to hear. They have an ability to manage emotions an ability to maintain perspective under stress. They demonstrate emotional courage, and they're continually looking for ways to enable the organization to improve. This authenticity and reflectiveness is really important, and if I'm someone who's looking to develop my maturity or looking to to get the most out of my mature leaders, I'm really going to create an environment where I'm continually asking uh, is it okay for me to, to be who I am? Am I finding that, that when I get feedback, I'm really considering that feedback rather than trying to defend myself from it? And uh, that tends to be a big differentiator between those highly successful strategist leaders and the rest of the pack. You know, it seems like this ties a lot to professional humility, that, that I am humble, I don't need to defend for the sake of my ego but it's okay to be wrong is an interesting word, but it's okay to be not right in service of learning, something that seems not quite as I had hoped. Early on, I ran a, a nature preserve, and I put together a business plan, and I was really hoping everyone just thought it was fabulous. I had put so much effort into it. And I sent it to our founder, and he pretty much ripped it apart. And through that process, while I wanted him to be, he was a bit of a mentor, so I really wanted him to be proud of the work I had done to carry on his legacy and all that stuff. And ultimately, through the process, he was, in fact, that. But it was a difficult process. There was a lot I needed to learn. And through that dialogue, I became much better. And so that, for me, was an opportunity to practice that skill of, rather than telling him he was wrong, looking for really where did I, 
where did I need to grow? And it was hard, Mm -hmm. but it was absolutely worth the effort to find my opportunities for growth and shift how I was doing doing the running of that organization. So, Susan, how about you? You know, when I think about somebody who's highly authentic and reflective, who comes to mind is um, Aung San Suu Kyi, you know, of Myanmar. Mm-hmm. She was able to take a really long view for the future of her country, and she had to manage this extraordinary difficulties and discomforts as she endured her house arrest. And, you know, she was kept separated from her husband during that time. He became terminally ill, and she knew she wasn't going to see him before before, she, before he died. And she was very open about her struggle and her pain, and she was really able to uh, remain a model of strength and, and resistance to the fork. Great example to her, to her people. And... I've also seen something of this in Obama, too. You know, he wrote his autobiography, Dreams from My Father, and then Audacity of Hope, before he even began to run for president. And um, I was encouraged by a friend to read those when Obama was, you know, barely a twinkle in electorate's eye. And I, you know, I had this reflective belief, like, oh, he's too young, he's too inexperienced. And I read those books, I was so impressed. By his openness, his ability to reflect, his desire to evolve, I thought, oh, my goodness, there's a strategist. Wouldn't that be, he might be able to become president. And, um, in fact, that happened. And, you know, sometimes he was called no drama Obama, you know, for his ability to manage his emotions and make sure, you know, that his team did that for the greater good. But he doesn't, it wasn't about suppressing emotions, which I think is a really um, important distinction. Because I just watched him recently confronting the gun control issue after the the Rose the Roseburg um, Oregon school shooting. You know, he got righteously, authentically angry, and I just found it very powerful, very you know, very appropriate. So, Mike, anything you want to add to this one? Uh, no, I think the, the the discussion and the examples have been terrific. I think it really illuminates what, what we were doing as we put this together. And I just want to say that in today's economy, uh, or actually in today's world, because it extends beyond business, that what we're looking at is we don't need sergeants. We need conductors. We need mm-hmm. an orchestra that's comfortable chiming in and speaking up, and we need someone to pull it all together. And that comes with the maturity level of these strategist-type leaders. And if we develop the environment, the learning organizations that allow these strategist-type leaders to evolve and also to practice, we're going to find that we have significantly better organizations, whether that's a political organization or a business organization. So I'm very excited to see the model out there and hope to hear how companies are utilizing you know, I love the image of the conductor that, and in fact, in some of the earlier papers, that, that was actually the image we used for the strategist. And there were a couple things that stood out for me. One, that the conductor sits on stage and it looks like they're making little micro movements, and yet the entire symphony responds. And at the same time, they're attending to what's going on with the audience. They're attending to what goes on with the funders. They are taking that 360-degree view and having 
performed for a short period of time with a woman's African drumming group, it struck me as that I was pretty new and, and not terribly talented, that there were times probably that our drum master wanted to take my drum away from me and play it himself rather than listening to my fairly newbie competence. And yet he would stand in front of me and play until I, if I got off beat, he would come and play right in front of me and, and I could watch his hands and get back on track. It's that ability to fluidly navigate the group without embarrassing. So that grace mm. I get to learn, he's teaching, and at the same time making sure that his attention to me didn't cause somebody else to go off track. So I, I really do appreciate that image. Susan, do you have any closing comments in the last few seconds? Well, one thing I'd want to stress is that we make a lot about um, strategist leaders. And what's really great is everybody doesn't need to be a strategist in an organization for the organization to be to really run well, to run in a strategist way with these uh, very, I would say, elevated capacities. If you do have a strategist leader that's, you know, at the top or near the top, they can, with their efforts, as you were saying, this ability to have this, you know, big view and do these very nuanced things um, to be able to keep everything together, they can bring an enormous benefit to the organization and create an environment that actually elevates everybody else's um, capacity and ability to, to get things done, even if they haven't, like, as you were saying, mastered yet um, some of the instruments, everybody's um, playing will get better and they will be moving in that direction. And it's all for the betterment of the organization and, um, and the world. Thank you. I think that's a critical point that we don't all need to be strategist leaders. We need to have a few appropriately placed to allow us to be effective. That's a perfect note to close on. I want to thank both Mike and Susan for sharing their time and their wisdom in bringing what I think is one of the most important models forward. We will have more shows where Susan will talk about her book. Uh, Michael will help us elaborate on how to build leaders with these competencies. For now, goodbye. Have a good day. And please do send us feedback. My email is info at metcalf-associates.com. The website also has a, uh, an abundance of blog posts and also some papers under the publications tab that will build out this sense of what are the levels, give you a little bit of idea at each developmental level prior to strategist, what do they look like, and what are some of those competencies. So it's our intent to share as much information with you as possible. And so thank you for joining us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 